From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host for this week with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum. How are you today, Lawrence? Oh, I'm doing good, Jeff, but uh, it's starting to get cooler here in the Carolinas. It's starting to feel like fall, so it's the best time of the year, in my opinion, anyway. Yes, well, you need it cooler more than we need it cooler. Maybe up here in Boston, but it's yeah, pleasant 60 degrees and it's not raining for a change. So we'll take that. Um, so it is uh Monday, October 9th, 2023, as we're recording this. It's a bit of a somber day given what happened over the weekend uh in Israel. So we will talk a little bit about that up front and then get into the regular scheduled program. Uh so um let's start with the uh disclosures and then the agenda. Um after we comment on the uh, war in Israel, we'll talk about stocks following the bond market's lead last week. It's really all about rates. Actually, the theme for the whole, really this whole um, podcast is is rates. Uh, look at the jobs report from Friday. Interesting market reaction that, uh, you know, it certainly looked like it was too strong up front, but then the market reconsidered. So maybe it wasn't uh, too strong. Uh, glad we have Lawrence here uh, with being a fixed income guru. He'll tell us where rates might be going. That's an easy question. Easy prediction, right, Lawrence? Um, and then last, uh, we'll preview the week ahead, which is other than the you know focus on what's going on in the Middle East, we will look at earnings season uh, quickly and uh, talk CPI. So um, before we get into the recap, just want to comment on the uh, events over the weekend. You know, we've certainly been asked... Um, you know, by folks, what might be the potential market impact? I mean, of course, you start with the the, the tragic human cost. Uh, it's it's always uncomfortable to talk about market impact or economic impact uh, at times like these, but uh, that's our job, so that's what we do. Uh, so, um, you know, first you look at the the uh, oil market, right? That's where this uh, conflict is more likely to be. Um, you know, transmitted into economic weakness. You know, oil's up four or five percent. Uh, the energy sector, uh, similarly, and that can, of course, have impact on economic growth and consumer spending. Uh, however, um, unless Iran is brought into the conflict, the the impact on the energy markets might not be very large. You might see this knee jerk reaction, and then those gains could be short lived. So. Certainly, it looks like based on how markets are trading today on Monday, that um, you know Iranian involvement is not the base case. So, if the conflict remains contained uh, to Israel and Gaza, you might not have much economic impact. You might not even have much uh, energy impact. So, um, that's one piece of this. The other piece is we'll look back in history uh, when war breaks out or when you have terrorist attacks, uh, and this is really both you tend to see the stock market shrug it off. Uh, you know, if you look back to even World War II, you know, on average stocks are a little bit higher a month after these events, three months after these events. And really it's the economic cycle that determines uh, whether stocks fall. So given where we are in this cycle, we think stocks are more likely to be higher in a month or three months uh, based on history uh, and based on the fact that this economy continues to uh, to hold up quite well. So. Um, you know, we wouldn't be sellers tactically 
uh, on this event. And and certainly, um, you know, we are overweight energy and we like that positioning a little bit more uh, today. So uh, anything to add to that, Lawrence, from the, uh, the bond market perspective? I mean, it probably takes the risk of a Fed hike down a bit, right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it definitely depends on how long uh, this war uh, skirmish it, it lasts. And to your point about Iran is, is spot on. If, if, if it spreads and Iran became, becomes a, a bigger participant in this event, certainly that'll have more uh, lasting impact, we think. Uh, but as it stands now, well, the U.S. bond market is closed today for the holiday. But if you look at the 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 rates markets for non-US developed markets like the UK, France, Germany, bond yields are all lower, as you'd expect them to be, uh, given kind of that risk off sentiment in the bond market. Uh, given the fact that you know there could be um you know a a, a bigger argument for a skip in the, for the November meeting for the Fed given kind of the geopolitical events that are taking place. So um by and large it, it's not it doesn't have a tremendous impact on the fixed income market. It certainly won't have a, a, a big impact or a lasting impact if this is short-lived. Certainly the inflationary story is going to be the the, the bigger driver of where bond yields are going. Um, but for, for today anyway, it does look like the risk-off uh, environment in the you know, non-US developed market is is taking place. Yeah, and you'll, you'll see a little bit of support for precious metals too. Uh, defense companies are certainly seeing a lift. That makes perfect sense. You'll probably see uh, Congress come together at some point, given the current dysfunction, we don't know when, but you'll see Congress come together at some point uh, and, and fund, um, you know, Israel defense as well as more Ukraine uh, funding as well. So um, let's transition. There's no good transition out of that uh, to the market recap for uh, last week. You see here, you know, not only were stocks resilient last week, they're resilient so far today, uh, up a half a percent last week, up similarly uh, today, at least as we're recording this. And that whole gain really came on Friday with the reaction to the jobs report. At first, people saw, you know, 300,000 plus jobs and, and immediately sold, or at least the machines did, on the the thought that that was, you know, hawkish for the Fed. Uh, but then when you look one level down, you see that the, uh, the wage numbers in the jobs report for September were actually pretty calm, actually better than expected. And uh, and then the market kind of changed its mind and, and, and reversed solidly higher. So um, that was really the whole story for last week and why we ended up. Uh, and you saw the, like a risk on kind of a tilt with, um, you know, the Nasdaq outperforming tech doing very well, up about three percent. The tech heavy comm services sector also did very well, up three percent. That's where Alphabet and Meta are. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, ironically, you had energy, the worst performer last week is oil collapsed on um, inventory fears. So, um, you know, we'll get back some of those losses uh, today, of course, but uh, energy a laggard as, as oil gave back some of those big gains as markets started to focus more on just traditional supply demand in, in the U.S. and less on geopolitics. <laughs> At least that was Friday. Obviously, that's flipped in the other direction um, today. And we really didn't see, um, we, we saw uh, you know, the gains in the US, but really didn't see gains overseas at all. You, you can see losses in Europe uh, and, and pretty much Asia across the board. A Little bit of a gain in India, a little bit of gain in China. 
Um, strong dollar certainly continues to weigh on uh, international equities, though for now we do have a slight positive bias toward uh, international equities and remain uh, neutral the U.S. Uh, so, Lawrence, how about fixed income uh, last week? I mean, the uh, you know job market was maybe a little bit healthier than people thought, and uh, that put some pressure on bonds. Yeah, so stop me if you've heard this uh, recently, but bond yields were higher last week, uh, six week in a row. In fact, the bond yields have, have been higher. We've moved about 0.7% on the 10-year Treasury yield over that uh, six-week time period. So it's been an unrelenting move higher in, in Treasury yields uh, on the back of stronger-than-expected growth, uh, which we'll talk about in just a second, as well as uh, just a, a glut of issuance coming to market over the next couple quarters in terms of, of new Treasury securities that the Treasury is going to issue to fund deficit spending. But uh, in, in the meantime, it's really, frankly, no place to hide across fixed income sectors. Uh, yields were 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 higher, uh, higher spreads were a little wider in the uh, corporate credit markets as well. So uh, it's it, it seems like it's kind of getting close to the end of this backup in, in rates. But, uh, you know, we've thought that before. Uh, given the kind of the unrelenting move, we think that there's going to be a breather eventually, uh, and maybe some consolidation. But uh, in, in, until that happens, momentum has is kind of pushed yields higher and, and continues to push yields higher. Now, as we talked about just a second ago, the bond market is closed today, so maybe there's a, a little reprieve uh, due to the, the the situation in the Middle East. But um, it's it's been it's been tough sledding over the past six weeks, in particular for fixed income markets. Yeah, it sure has. Uh, you know, I looked this morning and the odds of a rate hike in November are like mid-teens, very low. Uh, and I think the odds of a um, December hike have come down as well. So this does increase the odds that the Fed is done, uh, but obviously we can't declare that with a high level of conviction uh, just yet. I also want to point out, um, you know, it was a tough week for metals last week. I mean, it's been a tough month uh, for metals, but certainly for those um, who are concerned about a wider conflict in the Middle East, um, you know, precious metals certainly makes a lot of sense. And frankly, that geopolitical tail set the weak or the the strong dollar, if we continue to get uh, dollar strength. Remember, you know, strong dollar usually means weakness in precious metals, uh, but there are other drivers to precious metals that can overtake that. So. I uh, want to point that out too. So uh, S&P was, um, well, it's up today, but it was, um, you know, well off of its highs over the last um, uh, several weeks. And now uh, we got to the point on Friday at the lows, we were, we were right at the 200-day moving average pretty much, uh, and very close to this 4,200 level uh, of technical significance. So we would argue from a technical perspective, that was a successful test and is a good thing, is bullish. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that's part of why uh, stocks are up today and part of why they were up so nicely Friday after those early morning losses, because uh, the, um, you know, the machines like the technical setup. So obviously the question as I have here on this slide now is, are we going to get a fourth quarter rally? Uh, we um, talked about that last week. On average, you get about a 4% gain. So certainly based on where we sit now, that's possible. Uh, but it really, we think, is going to be uh, dependent on rates, you know, to some extent, certainly on the Middle East. But but really, rates is uh, is the key. And uh, so with that segue, here's rates. So 
Um, so technically, uh, Lawrence, I know you've you've talked to Adam Turnquist about the ten-year yield chart, and um, you know he tells me four point nine is the next resistance, and then and then five. So do you think we have, you know, are, are we at risk of breaking above five? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're we're really close to it now, and uh, given the momentum of of higher yields that we've seen over the past several weeks and months, I mean, it's certainly uh, possible. If you also think about the the Fed funds rate and the yield curve, just in in general for the U.S. Treasury securities, a lot of those securities are already above five percent. We hit five percent on the on the thirty year last week as well. So, five percent is is doable for sure, which. I'm still in awe of of the you know the economy's ability to 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 handle five percent treasury yields, but um, so far so good uh, in terms of of uh, you know the the economy continuing to to grow and digest these higher yields. But five uh, percent is 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 certainly doable for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a good economy with high rates over a bad economy with low rates any day. So there's the uh, glass half full take on that but yeah there's there's really not a ton of resistance if you get up above five um we'll we'll keep watching this but uh you know maybe you taught me this lawrence maybe the best thing about higher rates is that they attract buyers of bonds because bonds yeah. look better yeah um, and i think what, what's what's interesting is that uh there's very little resistance there because it's been such a long time since we've had yields in this this range right so i mean we had, we went a whole decade uh without with you know without yields above or the fed funds rate above zero right so we're in a we're in a new new regime we think we're in this higher for longer regime which we'll talk about in just a second but um because of that absence of of higher yields over the past decade once we break some of these these overhead resistance levels it i mean there's not a lot of technical support for uh you know anytime soon which could keep pushing yields higher yeah, I've heard talk of the bond vigilantes, right, pushing yields higher to force fiscal discipline on the federal government, and that, that's going to happen eventually. You know, who knows when? But uh, you know, the U.S. debt is much more expensive to um, to service as you get at higher interest rate levels. I know you wrote about that recently, Lawrence. Um, the, you know, this the, the economy. I mean, we don't know when the economy is going to start to slow. We haven't really seen. A lot of evidence that it's starting to happen yet, but when it does, it's going to be hard for yields to to keep moving higher. So that's the that's probably the point where bonds start to look really good, even though they we think they look pretty good right now. Um, so um, last chart before we get into the next uh, segment here, I wanted to show this correlation chart and, sh and and make the point that the relationship between stocks and bonds changes depending on the levels of inflation. Okay, I know there's a there's a lot going on in this chart, but it's a very simple concept. We have high inflation now, so stocks and yields move in opposite directions. Okay? If we had low inflation, stocks and yields would move probably in the same direction. Right? You want more growth when you're in a uh, a low inflation environment. You want more growth, you want yields higher. Um we don't want yields to reflect more growth and more inflation anymore, right? We used to want that, and <laughs> now we don't. Uh, and so uh, that means that for now, and probably in the near term, we need yields to go down for stocks to go up, right? Stocks are really kind of uh, following the bond market's lead, as I said in an earlier slide. So 
the good news here is that we do think yields are eventually going to head down, and that's going to be good for stocks. And then you can take that a step further and say, the market eventually won't care as much about yields or as much about movement in interest rates because inflation is coming down. And maybe we won't get to the Fed's target for another you know, 18 months or something. But once we get down uh, there, and we think we will, uh, then um, we can get past this obsession with interest rates in the Fed. And that'll certainly be a good thing for, for stocks. So I thought that was a very interesting point to make. We're, we're still, as stock investors, we're still kind of, um, you know, prisoners of the bond market. So uh, let's go through the jobs report real fast. Um, so, you know, north of 300,000 jobs, way more than consensus, which was around 160, depending on your source, basically double that. Uh, and, um, you know, we also had upward revisions to the prior two months. So it was like, you know, it was like doing 450 to 500,000 when you factor in the revisions. Now, um, you know, the market looked at the com the composition of the job gains and saw, you know, strength in leisure and hospitality jobs, strength in, in uh, education jobs, government jobs, generally speaking, lower wage jobs um, made up the bulk of the new jobs that were created in September. So that's how you get this blowout job creation, as you see here, uh, and this little uptick in the six month moving average in the orange line, to a better story on the wages front, right? It's a mixed shift. So we had uh, a decline in the year over year Average hourly earnings change or wages, right? Um, it was a little better than expected on a month over month, 0.2% rather than 0.3. And then your year over year um, was, um, you know, continued to come down, right? You see that in the orange line. So 4.3%. Uh, so this continues to be a good story. I mean, it's slow to come down, but it continues to be a good story for the economy and, and for the Fed as, um, as wage pressures abate, even though we have strong job, strong job market. So, any anything to add to that, Lawrence? Um, yeah, I think did one the, of the, uh, the bond was, market interpret this correctly. Yep. So, one of the things I think that the bond market looked at and and said that maybe this wasn't as as uh, as um, you know impressive as as the headline numbers would suggest. If if you look at things like the number of workers with multiple jobs that started climbing again, indicating that there's some some part-time work, work out there that's that's increasing, particularly as that excess savings start to dissipate. Number of self-employed uh, increased as well, looking you know again for additional sources of income. Uh, so you know that that headline number was obviously extremely impressive, uh, but maybe there are some reasons why that uh, you know there's a lot of jobs being added. Uh, and then if you look at the the um, the household survey, which is separate from the the survey that uh, we're looking at on the previous screen. There's two job surveys that are um, that are released on jobs day. There's a an employment survey, and then there's or I'm sure there's an establishment survey, and then there's a household survey. The household survey wasn't as robust, so that one looks at individual households and say, has your you know your your uh, employment uh, picture changed at all? Uh, and that partially gives credence to that uh, multiple part-time job story because um, it wasn't as impressive as that uh, establishment survey at, at the 336,000 jobs. So um, I think the bond market initially saw it as like, wow, you know, the Fed has to do more. But then when you look back, look under the hood a little bit, 
it wasn't it wasn't as robust as maybe the the initial headline number would suggest. Yeah, good point. And then in, in survey data, we've seen uh, businesses planning to hire less, right? So there's there's a number of indications like that that suggest uh, that the job market is cooling. We you just don't see it in that you know three fifty number that we saw last Friday. So um, thanks for that, Lawrence. Uh, so. You know, here we're kind of putting you on the spot. I mean, I sort of asked you this already, um, but uh, where do rates go? Uh, and uh, I know you changed our forecast for um, year end, and I and we don't have a 2024 forecast, but you know, generally speaking, based on where you see the world today, you know, where do you think yields maybe head between now and year end, and then early 2024? Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that uh, 2023 is coming to an end. We're we're in the, the process of updating our 2024 outlook piece. We're, we got to start working on that, Jeff, here, here shortly. Um, but this this end of year target has has changed uh, coming into, you know, we'll call it the mid-year outlook piece. We we thought the 10-year Treasury yield would end the year between 325 and 375. That was on a slowing economy, a less hawkish Fed. Uh, maybe the Fed took the Fed funds rate to 4.5%. At 5.5%, uh, at the Fed has you know, moved up, moved through that four and a half percent target that we, we were kind of looking at. So uh, we did up, update our forecast for, for the end of the year for, for this year, uh, which will certainly bleed into 2024 as well. Uh, this year, we think rates are kind of where they're at right now. So 4, 425 to 475 is our target. Uh, we're at 4.8 percent right now. Uh, we do think that as the, the economy continues to Digest these higher rates. There's some some potential speed bumps in in the way of, of a robust economy. You know the interest expenses have, are going to go up for companies and and consumers. We got uh, um, you know higher higher levels of prices and 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 higher rates for things like auto uh, loans and mortgages and uh, and credit cards. So we do think maybe the economy slows towards the end of this year. So it keep, it should take some pressure off of of the ten year Treasury yield. Uh, so we think that the big move in yields has, has already happened, but that said, uh, you know the, the the economy continues to surprise to the upside. That's the chart we're looking at here. This is the Bloomberg Economic Surprise Index. Since May, the economy has continued to outperform economic expectations, uh, and that has pushed yields higher alongside those those positive surprises. Uh, so the you know, the bond market had been pricing in a, a slowdown, a, an economic contraction. If you go to the next slide, uh, the, you know, the bond market was was pricing in recession, right? That's what what happens or what has generally happened when the U.S. Treasury yield curve inverts. You get this uh, situation where the bond market starts to expect rate cuts uh, due to a slowing economy that ends up inverting a yield curve. Uh, and right now, the, the bond market is pricing out those rate cuts, in fact, uh, so we're we're starting to see that disinversion. Uh, we've come a long way in terms of um, that disinversion. Uh, Two-year Treasury yields outyielded the ten-year Treasury yield by about a percent early in I want to call it July. We're about at 0.25 percent now. So the 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 inversion or the disinversion has moved a lot. But as long as that disinversion is 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 still negative there, as long as the U.S. Treasury yield curve is is inverted. Uh, you know, there's the risks that uh, intermediate and longer term yields can still go higher. So 425 to 475 is our target with risks that maybe we see 5% this year. 
or uh, or potentially early next year. So I, I know Lawrence everybody focuses on the uh, initial inversion of the yield curve as a recession signal, right? Very popular recession signal. The um, but the lag is really long, right? In some cases, it takes a couple of years. I mean, if you if you lengthen your recession call long enough, you're going to be right every time, <laughs> because eventually we have a recession, no matter when it is. So my question is, how about the signal of of disinversion or or sort of normalizing? I mean, obviously that gets you closer to recession. Um, you know, does that potentially increase the chances that over the next two three quarters that that the economy slides into recession or no? Yes and no, and this is where it may get a little wonky. Uh, so I apologize, but there's a couple of there's two ways that a inverted yield curve can disinvert. You can either have uh, the, the two-year treasury yield fall in anticipation of Fed rate cuts, or you can have the 10-year treasury yield rise uh, in, in anticipation of a higher for longer Fed, so pricing out rate cuts. So the first one is called a bull steepener. We have our own language in fixed income world. The first one is called bull steepener, which means the front end of the yield curve goes down. Uh, that's positive for bonds. That means that the, the, the bond market is pricing in uh, Fed rate cuts. And that has typically been a very good sign that recession is close, right? The market starts to price in rate cuts because the economy is slowing. The Fed usually cuts rates to help stimulate the economy, et cetera. What we're seeing now is called a bear steepener. These are much, uh, much more rare. Uh, and what we're seeing now is the long end of the yield curve kind of catch up to the front end of the yield curve. So the, the back end is selling off uh, as these rate cuts that were expected by the market get priced out. So. Uh, this is generally, at least initially, not a, a great signal in terms of recession. That said, as these longer-term yields go higher, the cost to borrow increases as well, which could paradoxically, as the bond market's pricing out these recession risks, could actually increase the risk. So um, it, it's it's kind of like I said, it's kind of wonky, but um, you know, the, the more reliable si signal or the more straightforward signal, I would say. Is when the when the two-year Treasury yield starts to fall. This one it, it doesn't have a great track record, but it does, you could argue, increase recessionary risk because the cost to borrow increases pretty significantly. Yeah, great, great points. And you, um, I think, are seeing the um, at least some of the Fed speakers today acknowledging that the bond market's doing some of the work for them, right? Higher interest rates mean market-based interest rates like the ten-year. I mean, maybe the Fed doesn't have to do as much uh, in terms of hiking uh, the Fed funds rate. So, uh, you know, we would have more conviction that the Fed has done now than we had probably a few weeks ago. Uh, and then you add to the equation higher oil prices if we do get that. And that adds even a little bit more pressure to the economy. So, you know, we still think that if we have recession, it'll be very mild and short lived. Uh, but the odds that we do get one over the next few quarters have uh, have risen, uh, no doubt. So um, good discussion there, Lawrence. I mean, I can't believe it. I'm an equity strategist and I actually followed everything you said there, shockingly. But I, I really think I did. Quiz later, right? Quiz later. Uh, so um, let's go into the preview of the week ahead. I mean, as I mentioned up front, I mean, it's going to be uh, all eyes on, on, on the Middle East. Uh, that is a potential um, tinderbox, to put it mildly. Um, and uh, so that will, you know, with regard to the energy markets, 
uh, and frankly, the economy, if it if it spreads, uh, will be the main focus, I think, for folks uh, in the days ahead. But beyond that, uh, we have CPI this week, and we have the start of uh, third quarter earnings season. Th this earnings season is going to be really interesting um, because uh, you have a strong economy, you have some inflation still, and wage pressures are coming down, or generally, cost pressures are coming down. So, and revisions are good, right? Estimates have actually held up really well. So all that would line up normally uh, for a really good earnings season, right? Relative to expectations. However, the dollar has essentially been a straight line up since companies provided guidance last quarter, right? So that's going to limit how much upside we can get. So, you know, instead of maybe four or five points being the base case, we would say maybe two or three points of upside uh, should be the base case because the dollar is that big of a headwind for international earnings, right? About 40% of S&P 500 profits come from outside the US and other currencies. And then you, um, you know, if the dollar's strong, that eats into those foreign source profits. So it's going to be tough for the market to grow the S&P 500 at least to grow earnings more than let's call it three or four points. Uh, but we think with consensus right now to up a half a point, which means the end of the earnings recession, uh, we think a plus two plus three is, is a very reasonable expectation. Now, the next question is, is that enough to move the market? Given everything that's going on, maybe not. And it'll be enough probably to move the energy market. Like energy companies, we think are just going to have a blowout quarter. Uh, and that remains our favorite sector. Uh, we still like industrials as well. So we think with energy and energy tied investments, we think are going to do very, very well because, you know, for most of the quarter, oil was rising. Um, and we've seen positive revisions in energy stocks. That looks like a really good place um, for um, upside surprises. But beyond that, uh, it's, it's just going to be a little bit tricky with that international drag. So we'll see. Hopefully it is a positive catalyst and helps us get to that Q4 rally. Maybe just getting us focused on something other than yields will be positive. Uh, but, um, you know, we don't think we're going to be in a situation where, you know, companies blow out the numbers and, and forward estimates go up again. They, if they hold up, that's a win. So, uh, and by, by the way, Q4 estimates are probably too high. Plus 9% Q4, that, that might be uh, a little bit of a stretch. So um, turning the economic calendar, I mean, it's, I think it's all about CPI. Um, you know, we had energy prices go down during September, so that should be good. But now, obviously, they're reversing higher now. So we'll see about what happens uh, in, uh, you know, the next couple of months. But, you know, this is still a good story. Year-over-year uh, -year CPI looking for 3.6%. Core X Food and Energy, 41 we're getting very close to having a three handle on core uh, CPI, and we're right around there on the core PCE, the Fed's preferred inflation measure. Uh, we have been saying pretty much all year we thought we can get to the mid threes, and it looks like we're still on track for that. So I think CPI is going to be the the highlight. Anything else here, uh, Lawrence, that you would would highlight that might be might be interesting? Maybe the well, minutes. interesting for the for the bond market anyway is just all the the Fed speakers. You referenced a couple of them today. Sure. There's a, a ton of them out there this week. I think I counted twelve or thirteen different speaking engagements wow. for Fed officials, uh, and then of course the the uh, Fed 
FOMC meeting minutes will be released, I believe, on on Wednesday. Uh, that that could be interesting given the the hawkish pause that we saw last meeting, and and kind of the discussions around their their interest rate projections. So, uh, for the bond market, it's it's certainly CPI, but also the the Fed speak that um, that we're that we're hearing today and likely to hear throughout the rest of this week as well. Very good. I think uh, given the barrage of economic data last week, we uh, we could use a break. Uh, we'll get through the CPI, and then uh, things will be quiet, uh, at least at least based on the economic calendar anyway. So uh, with that, uh, thank you all for joining another edition of LPL Market Signals. Lawrence, thanks for being here. I really needed you this week because um, it was pretty much bonds and rates uh, all day long. And uh, as you know, I cannot do a call on bonds and rates by myself. So I appreciate you. Um, I guess with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thank you for joining everyone and take care. Have a good week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.